Amen. Our reading today is from a book that I have never read before in church until this week. Um, It's a reading from Haggai. And so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. It'll be up on the screen, but if you ever need a Bible, please know that they're always available in the back. You can grab them on your way in. If you don't have a Bible, please take that one and make it yours. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild God's house. Then the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Is is it a time for you yourselves to live in houses that are paneled while this house lies in ruins? Therefore consider, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you earn wages to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been spending a couple weeks in this, in this series called The Temple Builders. Uh, it was kind of apt because we've been talking a lot in the background conversations of this congregation about what it would mean to get a little more space because it turns out that uh, today it feels relatively comfortable, but by the 11th of September, this building is going to feel real cramped real fast. And some of you who've been here know a little bit about what we're talking about, and so we're dreaming about what that looks like. But as I dug in, that didn't turn out to be the heartbeat of what was going on. In response to the temple that had been torn down uh, back in 587 BC, uh, the people of Jerusalem had been exiled, they had been sent off to Babylon, and almost 50 years later, they had a chance to go back. And a city that had not been cared for for 50 years needed a lot of repairs, and it was hard to know where to start. And so two weeks ago, we talked about Ezra, And Ezra didn't start with a hammer and nails. Ezra started with a prayer and beginning to understand what is it that God has commanded us to do. Last week, we talked through Nehemiah, which was written right about this same time. And Nehemiah said, we're not going to build the temple. We need to build a wall because God is going to give us the chance to protect and and, and surround ourselves with, with some important protection. And they began to pray and ask that God would help them through a very difficult time to trust that God the God who had given them a call would lead them through that really difficult thing. Next week, we're going to talk about Zephaniah, another book I don't think I've ever read, or Zechariah, not Zephaniah. (laughs) That's going to be confusing next week. We're going to talk about Zechariah next week, a book that we haven't dove into, but this week we're going to find our way into the book of Haggai. And Haggai was um, was there because after, the, after they finished building the wall with Nehemiah, a whole bunch of time passed and nothing seemed to be happening. In fact, what we realize is that things are not going well in Jerusalem. Things are not working that well. They've been trying to do things and nothing seems to be progressing. They're not sure what to do and they're not sure how to fix it. This is where Haggai shows up. Haggai's a prophet. And a prophet has a really important job in ancient Israel. The prophet's job was to bring a message from God to God's people. 
The prophet would hear from God, and then he would show up, and he would have a message. And some of these prophets were long, and they spent a lot of time speaking, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But some of the prophecies are very, very short. This, this book, uh, Ava, my middle daughter, uh, we were on our way to church this morning, and she said, what are we talking about? And I said, Haggai, because pastor's kids apparently really care what the sermon's about before we start, and I'm proud of that, so I'm going to tell you that right now. Um, but but so she looked it up in the Bible, and she goes, oh, it's only two pages. Are you going to read all of it? And I went, no. And then she asked another important question, which I'm sure many of you have asked, which is, how do you preach a whole sermon on such a little book? And I'm going, honey, I could get six of them out of there if you really wanted me to. Haggai shows up, and he has a very brief but important message for these people. He comes to speak on behalf of God, and he, in order to start to speak to them, he begins to talk about their current situation. Here's what he says in verse 4. Is this a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while, the, while, the, while this house, meaning the temple, lies in ruins? Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. They built a wall, they built up their homes, they secured their homes, paneled houses were nice. Um, they didn't have open windows through to let the air pass. They were sealed up, which is usually what we expect in a house, but was a luxury in the time of Jerusalem. And after they had done that, Haggai invites them to consider how they have fared. And we wonder, well, what does that mean? But the nice thing is, is in the next verse, Haggai actually gives us a vision of what that means. Here's what he says. You've sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you earn and you that earn wages put them into a bag with holes. It's back to school. I feel like the bag that I put my wages into has holes during this season. Maybe that's how you feel too. There's always something to do, but that's not exactly what they're talking about in this moment. What, they're t- what, what Haggai is talking about is this. He says, it's like you planted this huge garden, but when you went to harvest it, there just wasn't enough to eat. You keep making yourself clothes, but you never get warm. You keep eating, but you never have your fill. It's, I don't know if they were eating Chinese food or what, but they just keep eating, but it's never, ever enough. They keep working harder and harder, but getting less and less for their work. And the first question that comes along with that is, why isn't any of this working? Why is it that we can work so hard and it doesn't do anything? If there's a relatable question in the Bible, I think that one feels like it comes so close to home. It feels like I'm trying so hard, but nothing's happening. It feels like all I do is work and work and work. We never get ahead. We never have enough When I lay down at night, sometimes you feel just a little bit desperate in the midst of it. Why isn't this working? Then Haggai adds this. Consider how you have fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Well, that's counterintuitive. We worked hard and we didn't have enough to eat. We tried to clothe ourselves and we were, we were still cold. Let's stop everything and build a church. That's really what Haggai is saying. Let's stop everything and rebuild the temple. It had been torn down by the Babylonians and they needed a chance to be able to rebuild it. And so Haggai looks at all these people who have been there for years at this time and says, 
The word of the Lord is, go and build the temple. But we always miss the last part. So that I may be honored. You see, ignoring the temple was a symptom of their reality. It wasn't the problem. It was a symptom of the problem. Sometimes we'll think about it and we'll look at it and we'll go, well, that's the problem. You know, my, my child is misbehaving and you think I've got to deal with the behavior. But sometimes it has to do with something that's going on in the background and you have to deal with the symptom to get to what's happening. They're saying that the point isn't the temple. The point is what is behind it. God gives them a commandment that makes them ask an essential question. The fundamental question from God is this. Will you honor me? Will you honor me? Will you go back to where we started? You see, when it starts with Ezra, they pray. And with Nehemiah, they pray a lot because there's enemies at the door. And it turns out that when the enemies are at the door, it makes you remember, Lord, I need you in this moment, but something has happened. They've done okay. And so they have to ask this question of themselves, will you honor me? In the time of Haggai, honoring God meant this. It meant saying, even though it seems counterintuitive, we shouldn't live in houses while God lives in a tent. We shouldn't live in in a place that's safe and comfortable while God's house looks a little bit like a really big canvas strung between some poles, which is probably essentially what they had done in order to create a little bit of protection for when they worshiped there. Building a temple was essential because God was asking them, will you create a place that's worthy of me? You see, I don't know that that's necessarily what our job is to do. Though, one of, the, one of the things I get asked is, why are churches built so nicely? People will ask this all the time. Why do we build churches so that they're beautiful spaces to be in? And it's not because we want to enjoy them. It's because it turns out that we think a beautiful space is what our God is worthy of. And that's true of almost any faith across the world. A beautiful space is worthy of the God that is being worshipped. And so, it's a way of saying we will honor. So the question is this, what does it mean for us to honor God? And here it is. I'm going to give you a couple of these, but the first one is this. We are called to honor God with our church. First, first together as a community, and maybe you learned this when you, were, when you were a child, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. And then I forget the rest because I was the worst Sunday school student in the whole wide world. I think I drove a couple of teachers away from teaching Sunday school, uh, which is why we call it Kids Connect now, because then I can gently say to you, actually, it's not Sunday school. Uh, we really are really excited about what we're doing. But what I remember learning at the end is that the church was never the building. The church was always the people who gathered together. And it didn't really matter if it was the building. Jesus said it this way. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there with them. And that's what he was talking about when he said church. Ecclesia, this word that means church in the Greek, really just means a gathering of people. We're called to honor God in our gatherings. You see, the church— is often the thing people know about God. 
Often, when people don't know a lot about who God is, what they know is there's a church over there and the people who gather there, they know about God or they're talking about God or whatever they begin to understand. That's the reality of what it is. And there are people in Fargo-Moorhead. In fact, the estimates say somewhere around um, half, if not more, of people in Fargo-Moorhead don't really have a church home. This isn't part of their reality. What you're experiencing this morning is something that would be relatively foreign to a good half of the population. And so, we're called to honor God with our church because God is represented by the people who are gathered together. The world saw that Israel was not bothering with a house for their God. They just just weren't. They were so busy doing all the other things, and they were so busy coming up with what honestly are legitimate excuses, but they were not worrying about this community. They just—it was sort of on the back burner at that moment. Well, it'll be there when I need it, but right now we've got to do this thing because I've got to feed and clothe and take care of me and mine. And in those actions, the world got a vision for how they felt about God. When the world knew the church and they saw the church was a tent, they began to realize, well, that must be how they understand their God. You see, the questions are these. What do we value as a church? Buildings are great, but I am telling you buildings are not the point. I'll be really honest, this town is filled with gorgeous and amazing buildings. You're not going to impress anybody by building another one. Nobody's going to be like, oh, look at that church. Some of you walk in and you go, this place is beautiful. And that's true. We love it. But it's not necessarily just that it's a great building. The question is, what happens inside of it? Do relationships get built? Do people hear the message of good news? What do we value? One of the values that that we've talked about uh, in our staff, and we've mentioned with our leadership team, but one of the things I want to share with you is that we as a church really want to value excellence. And go with me for a minute. Because we believe, if you put this up there, we believe that excellence honors God and inspires people. We as a church do not believe in perfection. No. That's not what we believe. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be together. You don't have to have it all together to be a part of this community. We believe in excellence, and excellence is when we give our best to God because it turns out that we are called to give what we can do best to the one who gave us life. That's what we mean by excellence. And we believe that when we do that as a community, people will see that and go, they must believe something. But second, we believe that it honors who God is and what God has done for us. God deserves our best work, our best gifts, our best abilities. And when we, when we use what we do best for God, we honor him. We're not all going to get up on a platform and speak. Some of you will debate whether or not that's my best gift, but we'll get to that some other day. But I am telling you right now, that when we work together as a community, God has gifted us with the ability to be able to raise children in faith, to be able to meet friends who are checking out this place because this is what they know of God, who are able to show up in people's lives when they're hurting and broken and care for them. Because we have between us those gifts. 
We don't all possess all of those gifts, but together we can care for one another and we can honor him. When we do this together, we honor God as a church. Second, we are called to honor God with our actions. If we jump into this for a few minutes, um, it's not just our churches that honor God. We're also called to honor God with our actions. For people in our lives, we will be, for some people in your life, you will be the image of God. Just like the church is often the image of God, there are people in your life who you're the only person they know who says, oh yeah, I can't, I gotta go to church today. Think about that, the weirdness of that statement in your workplace. I'm sorry, I won't be able to. uh, At 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I actually have a place to be. It's, It's called church. That is not the normal response in culture. Some of us don't like to say it out loud because we're not sure what the reaction's going to be. They're like, oh, I'm going to get all of your opinions if I tell you what I'm about to do. But the reality is this. There are people in your lives who desperately need to hear the news that they are beloved children of God. That in joy and pain, and in hope and sorrow, in life and death and resurrection, that you and they are the children of God, that he offers us forgiveness and hope and freedom and life. And when we begin to honor God with our actions, we begin to show people the image of God in our lives. Haggai points out this. He points out that when our actions don't honor God, they very rarely have the same impact. You sow but the harvest doesn't come in. You eat, but you're still hungry. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put clothes on, but you're still cold. He's saying this. When you, when you put all this together, but your actions don't honor God, it seems like you're working harder for less. I had this great mentor for, for many years, and he would tell me this. I would say, I can't get it all done. And he would say, well, did you rest for a day? are you insane? No, I didn't rest for a day. I just sat around and prayed all, you know, did you take, and he'd say, did you take Sabbath? And I go, well, no. And then he would say this reality. He would say, hey, you should hear this. If you honor God with this one day, God will make all the other days work out. You'll be able to get more done on the other days. So reluctantly and pretty sure that I was intending to prove Ernie wrong, I tried it bad move. Better yet, really good move. Because it turned out that when I honored God with one day, the other days started working out. We hear this. We talk about, we talk about these things as a church. We talk about, I'll be honest, we talk about money as a church. If this is your first time here, I don't talk about it every week, but we talk about it sometimes. And inevitably, when people find out I'm a pastor, they'll say, pastor, church just wants my money. I want you to hear this. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. We don't give because the church needs, though that's true. That's the reality. But we're called to give, and we're called to give sacrificially because it teaches us how to be generous. It teaches us how to care for other people. That's true of our finances. That's true of our time. That's true of our gifts. That's true of our abilities over and over again. We give of ourselves because it teaches us about this generosity. But maybe more importantly than that, it turns out that when we honor God with these things, the rest of it works out. 
Haggai says the reason it's not working out for you, the reason these things aren't working together, is because this reality is you're not honoring him. God doesn't want something from us. God wants something for us. God lays out his plans to give us life, not to take things from us. Jesus calls this abundant life. Life to the full. Life more than you can imagine. He says, I have come that I may, they may have life and have it to the full. And he's teaching them. He's teaching us. He's teaching you and I that we are forgiven. We are free. We are blessed children of God. And we can give all of ourselves to trust and honor and hope in him because he's telling you there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. You don't have to be afraid. This message leads, that Haggai brings, leads to something unbelievable and amazing. Here's what he says. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shalatel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. For years it had sat empty, and suddenly the story says they started to realize, yes, this is what we're called to do, and they go to build. And something that sat for years was built in 90 days. In the span of three months, they said, this is what our time is for. And they begin to respond to God's call. You see, they honored God with their church. They honored God with their actions, but they also honored God with their hearts. They said, Lord, this is going to be deep inside of us because God is passionate about our hearts. And when, we be, he begins, when he begins to get a hold of us, we begin to see all that God can do in our lives. The reality is this. You are God's children. You are the reflection, the image of, the beloved family of God. And we give thanks that we can turn and bring honor to him through what we do together and through what we do on our own. My prayer is that this church would continue to be provoked, to be pushed, to be raised up, to be able to be God's hands and feet in this community. Let me pray with you today. Lord God, we honor you with all that we are. And when we don't, we ask that you would send us a prophet like Haggai who would speak into our lives and name for us. Maybe, just maybe, we can trust in you. We pray now that you would surround us with your gifts and bless us to be able to give what we have, the best of what we have, for your name and for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and together God's people said, amen.